Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Culture Wars. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and we're going to be doing something quite a bit different than usual today, and let me explain why. I was recently reading a fantastic book uh, by Carolyn Fraser. It won the Pulitzer Prize last year, and it's called Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And those of you who follow my blog over at thebridgehead.ca will know that I like to take a break once in a while from just tracking cultural decline, from discussing really depressing issues, and every once in a while reviewing a good piece of literature, a beautiful piece of literature, trying to point towards uh, what it is that we're trying to defend in the culture wars in the first place. And many of you will recall that I wrote a column last year when the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award was renamed uh, because apparently Laura Ingalls Wilder is considered very controversial in some circles these days. Kevin Williamson from the National Review actually speculated that Laura Ingalls Wilder is hated due to her family's conservatism and the Christian values that are showcased in those books. But anyways, when Carolyn Fraser's book came out, it looked really interesting. She's probably written the definitive biography on Laura Ingalls Wilder. And so as I was reading the book and really revisiting the story, I thought, wow, I'm going to write a review of this book uh, for thebridgehead.ca. And so uh, first, before I get into what precipitated this podcast, I'll just give you a little rundown again of Laura Ingalls Wilder's life, a, a timeline of sorts for those of you uh, whose memory might be a bit foggy. So Laura Ingalls Wilder was born on February 7, 1867 to Charles Ingall and Carolyn Quincy Ingalls, known, of course, in the Little House books as Ma and Pa. She was their second child as they had already had a daughter, Mary. In September 1869, the family moved west to Kansas from Wisconsin. You'll notice the order is a bit scrambled uh, because Laura Ingalls Wilder changed the actual order of events somewhat in her books to make the plot lines more convenient for children. The family home in Wisconsin is familiar to readers as the Little House in the Big Woods. Carolyn Celestia Ingalls was born on August 3, 1870 in Kansas. She was the family's third daughter, and of course she is known in the books as Carrie. The family returned to Wisconsin in 1861. However, the wheat crops failed for several years, causing much hardship. And in February of 1874, the family moved to Walnut Grove, Minnesota, and spent their first year living in a dugout. And this, of course, is recorded in the book On the Banks of Plum Creek. Uh, on November 1, 1875, Charles Frederick Ingalls was born. He would be the only little boy in the Ingalls family. Uh, but he died only nine months later on August 27, 1876 and he is not actually mentioned in the Little House books. The family moved again to Burr Oak, Iowa, and they briefly managed a hotel in town, and on May 23, 1877, Grace Pearl Ingalls was born. In the winter of 1879, Mary Ingalls became quite ill and lost her case, and in 1880, the family moved to Dakota Territory. Charles Ingalls worked on the railroads, and the family settled in modern DeSmet, South Dakota. In December of 1883, Laura completed her schooling and became a teacher, and around the same time, Almanzo Wilder, whose family had settled in the region, began courting her. On August 25, 1885, Laura and Almanzo got married, and these years, for those of you who have read the books, were recorded in these happy golden years. Laura's only daughter, Rose, named for the wild roses on the prairie, was born in December of 1886, 
and they lost their infant son prior to leaving South Dakota to move to Missouri. The couple purchased a large farm in Mansfield, Missouri in September 1894, and the farm is preserved today as the Laura Ingalls Wilder home. Of course, those of you who read uh, on the uh, West from Home and On the Way Home, as well as the later Rose books by Roger Leah McBride, will recognize the name of that farm, of course, as Rocky Ridge Farm. On February 18, 1911, Laura began writing. Carolyn Fraser actually speculates that the death of her father really began uh, to get her writing again, and that it was the memory of her father playing the fiddle for her the last night before she moved away from DeSmet that had Laura Ingalls Wilder longing to relive her childhood. She first began writing pieces for periodicals aimed at rural women in February 1911 and publishing a number of other short pieces until 1930. The Little House books were written between 1930 and 1940, and of course, uh, those of you listening to this will know that those books became wildly famous, a fundamental part of the collective memory of American history and one of the founding stories of both the American frontier and the American pioneer days. On October 33, 1949, Almanzo Wilder died, and a friend who later found them said that Laura Ingalls was clinging to his body in his favorite chair and simply didn't want to let go. She followed him on February 10, 1957, and both of them are buried in the cemetery at Mansfield, Missouri. So that's a bit of an overview of the life of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this, this life is, is stunningly summarized in Carolyn Fraser's book, Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And as I was reading through this book to write the review, and you can find that review at thebridgehead.ca, it's called What You Didn't Know About the Real Laura Ingalls Wilder. As I was reading this review, I thought, I wonder if there's anybody left who still knows or knew Laura Ingalls Wilder, because, of course, I always thought of her as somebody, you know, was alive. In, in your little kid's mind, you think of it as hundreds of years ago, because, of course, she was in a in a covered wagon going to Kansas Territory. Uh, pa Ingalls faced one of the, the greatest plagues North America, or indeed the world has ever faced in regards to insects, a massive locust cloud of 3.5 trillion insects that wiped out their farm at Plum Creek in Walnut Grove. He saw some of the last enormous wolves of the Great Plains. The family witnessed the disappearance uh, from their original territory of the Osage Indians. So when you're when you're reading these books as a kid, it seems like this was this was so so long ago. But when you realize that actually uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder lived uh, to the age of ninety, and that her lifespan actually encompassed a number of different eras in American history, and Laura Ingalls Wilder herself recognized that her life encompassed several different eras and that she didn't pass away until 1957. I thought, I wonder if there's anybody left alive who still actually remembers Laura Ingalls Wilder. Now, I know they'd all be old people at this point, but maybe there was somebody who still remembered what she was like back in Mansfield, Missouri. And so I started going through the book, and I found uh, an interview by the author with somebody named William Turner. He was the chairman of the Great Southern Bank in Mansfield, Missouri, and nearby Springfield. And so I just called the bank uh, to see if a William Turner was around and if he'd be willing to talk to me. And after several different transfers, they connected me to Bill Turner, who is now in his 80s. And as it turns out, he actually did remember Laura Ingalls Wilder. And so here are some of his memories of Laura Ingalls Wilder and Rose Wilder Lane. 
Yeah, I'd be glad to tell you. I, I knew Mrs. Wilder a little bit. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, we were having a, uh, a pie supper to raise money for our class. Okay. And I, I, myself and a girl went out to see her, see Mrs. Wilder at her place, Rocky Ridge Farm, and uh, we asked her for a donation. Yeah. And she said, well, I can't give you a donation, but I will give you a handwritten poem. Okay. So she did. <laughs> and we sold that poem at the pie supper. And I've forgotten just what it brought, but it wasn't very much, you know. She and her husband, Al Manzo, were pretty much to themselves. They did have a few friends, but not many. Well, she was... Uh, I would say she was reserved and uh, dressed nice and all in that day and age. It's a different type of dressing, you know, than we have today. But she she was, uh, as I remember, she was a uh, kind of a prim lady. And okay. she's very proper. I had a friend that lived on the farm next to her, and he used to do things for her, like mower yard. And he said the way she'd contact him was she'd put a note in her mailbox to Roscoe to come to her house. And then the postman would take that over to her box, which was the next box. Not only that, but Bill Turner also remembered Rose Wilder Lane, who was quite a controversial figure in Mansfield because she ended up traveling around the world as a journalist. She wrote biographies of Charlie Chaplin and Herbert Hoover. She was a very unorthodox person. She was married once only briefly to a man named Gillette Lane. She had one child who who died at birth, but she spent the rest of her life sort of chain-smoking. She, she quite liked her booze and traveling around while frequently visiting her parents back in Mansfield. And when she arrived back in Mansfield, as she did frequently, she often made quite an impression. So here was the young Bill Turner's impression of Rose back in the day. I remember people talking about her like she was a kind of a strange wild person, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> she wasn't like Mrs. Wilder. And I don't know that the, they actually got along that well, but but I remember she'd come to Mansfield and, and stay there. I think she actually went to high school there some. So after I talked to Bill Turner, I was I was pretty excited that I'd gone to talk to somebody who actually knew Laura Ingalls Wilder, who had spoken to her, who had seen her around. It was a, a really fascinating link with history for me, especially because I hadn't realized there was anybody left alive uh, who had known her. And a couple of days later, uh, Bill Turner phones me back. And he didn't have to do this. I was just somebody writing a review of of a new book on Laura Ingalls Wilder. But he phoned me back and he said, my friend Dale, Dale, my friend Dale Freeman, he's 92 years old. He's in the office and he'd like to talk to you. And so Dale Freeman, it turns out, he was a, uh, worked as a journalist uh, for years, uh, also as the editor of one of the local newspapers, had quite a few memories of his own. And his parents were actually friends with Rose Wilder Lane. Dale's parents actually were quite prestigious in the Mansfield community. His dad served as mayor for a while. And so here are some of his memories. I used to sell Mrs. Mrs. Wilder magazines. Okay. When I was, 
when I was a kid. <laughs> I uh, and she paid cash too. <laughs> it was uh, no the Colliers and uh, I don't know Missouri Ruralists or whatever. I guess I'm one of one of the the final final four or something that, that remember Mrs. Wilder uh, 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 in the early days anyway. Yeah, and uh, and Rose also. We uh, my mother and Rose were were quite close because if uh, Rose became a member, Rose and her companion. Uh, oh gosh. I, I can see her right now, but I'm trying to think of her name. Uh, played uh, played bridge uh, in a, in a card club in a bridge club that my mother and my dad attended. Uh, I always always thought that the reason that, that uh, Rose liked to come to our house is because she got to have a drink there. Well, Rose went to school in Mansfield, right, and. Uh, my my father also was in grade school at the same time that uh, that Rose was. Uh, she was uh, six or seven years older, but he knew her from the school days too. I guess she was quite a pistol even in school. I remember, uh, you know, seeing her at when my folks hosted the the bridge club, uh, and uh, oh, this the companion's name was Helen Boylston, and they called her Chubb. Okay. Uh, she was quite chubby, from what I recall. Uh, you know, I I was uh, uh, just a hanger on uh, with uh, with Rose. Uh, uh, I'm not saying that we became well acquainted because we didn't. Uh, my dad, uh, my dad uh, did not care. Well, I'm not saying he didn't care for her. Uh, they they were totally opposed, certainly on politics. <laughs> right, right. Because I uh, we were from a democratic uh, family, and uh, Rose was far from it. You know, it was a very small town, uh, clannish as almost all are. Uh, I I don't recall any you know any harsh words or anything like that uh, when Rose was in town. Uh, and when she lived there, when she moved into the, the farmhouse after building her uh, uh, mother or and father uh, a house uh, not too far away, uh, she used it. Uh, you'd be interested to know they built that house through a series of Roebuck plans. Uh, we went out there. Uh, when Rose was in residence in the uh, in the farmhouse uh, for uh, uh, not pancake but waffle suppers right. uh, a couple of times, I do remember that when I was a child. And we sit around, sat around, and uh, of course, at the time I probably was you know under ten years old, and I'm not sure that. Uh, that we sat around and discussed uh, politics, probably books. I I also remember that for years, and I, I have no idea what happened to it, but on one of her several trips to Albania, <laughs> uh, 
Rose brought my mother a, a sweater, uh, a woolen sweater hmm. that uh, yeah, somebody in Albania had sold her or given her. And my mother uh, wore it <laughs> uh, in the winter uh, quite often. And I remember her saying that uh, that the Albanians wore their sweaters the year round. Dale, fortunately for me, was willing to talk for quite a while about what he remembers of the old days. One of the things that I love about being able to talk to elderly people is that they remember different times. And and, and when they're talking about it, of course, it's like you can almost reach out and touch this period from the past. And so here are some more of the memories that he shared with me during our conversation. She was uh, quite, quite short or tiny, I would say. Uh, white hair even then. Uh, I, I do remember that uh, the, the Methodist Church uh, in Mansfield had a, uh, I think it was a monthly luncheon uh, open, you know, and they, they charged maybe a quarter or maybe 50 cents to go in and uh, grab anything they could find and uh, around the Methodist ladies' tables. Uh, she was quite a cook. And I remember my mother saying, well, Mrs. Wilder brought such and such, so uh, find where uh, where her uh, food is and and grab something from that, or did not grab something. But but uh, she, she was quite popular. She was uh, not... Uh, I think she was quite active in, in the Methodist Church right. there, and my mother and I were Catholics, so we didn't attend, but we did eat their lunches. She she was quite religious. I understand she was. Uh, I, uh, but no, I I thought she was a lovely woman, and I never never heard any anybody say anything against her that I ever recall. In uh, in Mansfield, uh, Rose. I think there were still some old timers who who uh, didn't approve of of Rose's ways, and I don't mean politically. Right. I think she was she was one of those uh, one of those teenagers that uh, when she left there, uh, that everybody shook their heads about. I didn't even know that she wrote a book <laughs> when I was a kid. I didn't. Uh, it was, well, I, I'm not even going to say it was a surprise. I, uh, I, I, I can't even remember that I, I, I knew her as, uh, I certainly didn't know her as an author. Right. Uh, she was a, a farmer. She was a farm wife married to Almanzo. Right. <laughs> and, a, and a Methodist who had a quasi-famous daughter. Uh, famous for probably several things. 
So after that, I actually asked Dale if he remembered Almanza Wilder. And everybody I talked to had said he was really reserved. And in her book, Carolyn Fraser had talked about how Almanza Wilder didn't really like to go out. And and Dale Freeman remembered him as sort of a, a crippled person because of the way he walked. And he thought that was arthritis or old age. But readers of the first four years will remember that that was actually because Almanza Wilder got sick with diphtheria and went out working too soon, which permanently damaged his feet. But when I pressed him a little bit, Dale Freeman did have a few memories of Almanza Wilder, and here are those memories. My dad played pool with him. Okay. Uh, I, uh, my dad and my uncle, among other enterprises, uh, uh, ran the uh, Ford Motor Company in uh, in Mansfield, and Mr. Wilder. Th- this was a uh, at the start of World War II, and I was uh, what I was the gas jockey. <laughs> right. I waited. I waited on the pump, and Mister Wilder would drive up in his Chrysler, and at that time we had gas rationing. Mm-hmm. This was in forty-one or forty-two, I guess in forty-two, and uh, with this big Chrysler, and I would put in his four gallons of gas which was the ration, weekly ration. And uh, Mr. Wilder and my dad would go over to the nearby pool hall and shoot pool. He was, uh, I'm not going to say he was, he was friendly. He, you know, I was, I was just a kid and, and he was an old man. Uh, anybody over 30 was an old man then right. to me. Uh, so, but he would, uh, you know, he was, he, he was, uh, I'm not going to say we had any long, drawn-out conversations, but uh, uh, he was always very nice to me. So I started to work on this piece about the real Laura Ingalls Wilder, and of course now I had the the accounts of, of two people who had actually met her and had met the family and knew them, and then I got another phone call uh, from William Turner, and William Turner said, you, you know, remember I mentioned my friend Roscoe Jones, uh, Roscoe Jones, the boy, the young boy who who cut the lawn over at Laura Ingalls Wilder's place. And of course, I did. I did remember that. He had just told me that a few days previously. He said, well, I've got his phone number for you as well. He's still alive as well. He's pushing 80, uh, but he'd also be willing to talk to you. So I gave him a call. And here are the memories that Roscoe Jones has of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Some of it's kind of vague because it's been Many years ago, I did uh, live by Laura Ingalls Wilder. My father got home from the Navy in World War II in 1946, and we built a new house uh, next to Laura Ingalls Wilder. There was a pasture in between us, but we were the next house to the east of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And we lived there until she passed away and 1957. So I was, I was born in 1940. I was six to 16 going on 17 when she passed away. And I have uh, several memories. I wish I'd known to made notes and write down some things. Uh, some of the more important things that I remember. Right. Uh, I used to mow her lawn, uh, for several years. I mowed her lawn every week and, uh, she used to, send me messages, our rural postman would 
pick up a postcard at her house, and it would be addressed to Roscoe Jones' next box, and he would <laughs> hand cancel it and deliver it. So we had instant messaging. Um, <laughs> I did keep some of that. It is now in the hands of my granddaughter uh, in Columbia. Uh, I had one of her typewriters, or the typewriter, at the time I thought she typed her uh, manuscripts uh, of the books, but that wasn't the case. She she did all that in hand, but she was uh, a reporter for the Missouri Journalist, and they had to have everything typewritten, so that's what the typewriter was for. Okay. But I have that, and, uh, oh, just a few notes that she passed on uh, during over the years, a set of books uh, she gave me and my brother each a book, and then my mother bought the rest of the set, and Mrs. Wilder autographed those. I have my half, and the half that my brother had are gone. He's deceased. But anyway, I do have half of the set. I, re- I remember a few times when I would go go over to her house, she would send me a message to come by to do an errand or something. And then she would invite me to come in and sit down by the stove, and she would tell me some stories. Okay. Uh, of course, that was well before the TV series of those days, that she would tell me a story of things that happened. She would say, now this is the way it actually happened. She say, she would say they they embellished a little bit in the books. That was pretty close. I recall maybe one time that she was over at our house. Uh, they just didn't, they didn't neighbor like that. Uh, she was friendly to us. Uh, by that time, uh, several people wanted to visit Mrs. Wilder, and she didn't welcome people coming to her house. If they came unannounced, she wouldn't even go to the door. And here are the memories he has of Rose Wilder Lane. And just as in the case of William Turner, you can tell his memories of Rose Wilder Lane are substantially different than his memories of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Everybody I talked to emphasized the difference between those two women. She was she was very tiny. She was short, a uh, very pleasant lady. Um, uh, I, I do remember when her daughter... Rose Wilder Lane would uh, come to her house. She she would come into the sitting room and put two cartons of Chesterfield cigarettes on the table. <laughs> and she was a chain smoker. And Mrs. Wilder didn't like that. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think there was uh, too much love there between the two. They didn't get along very well. Yeah, she she was very different. She was very brash. Uh, of course, she was an author too, uh, and I wasn't familiar with her books. And as a matter of fact, I don't, I've never read the books through. But uh, uh, very different, very different personality than her mother. She she would come visit usually maybe once or twice a year, and uh, I think at that time she was living. Delaware, Connecticut, back east, 
someplace. She would stay probably a couple of weeks. Uh, and I met her. I'm sure each time she was there, I was either over doing some chores or mowing the lawn or something. Roscoe Jones also remembered Almanzo Wilder, and here are some of his memories of Almanzo, who, of course, uh, had his childhood immortalized in the book Farmer Boy. I do remember when we first moved, uh, her husband, Almanzo, was still living, and he had he had goats in the pasture between their home and our home, and I, I would climb over the fence and, and tease tease the billy goat, and he would chase me back to the fence, and I would jump the fence, and he would bet bet his head against the post. <laughs> I don't think that was too too too, uh, too good for my getting along with Mister Wilder. He never never really had any problem, but I don't think he appreciated that. So after asking uh, each of these men questions about uh, Rose Wilder Lane, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Almanza Wilder, I asked them, what was different about Mansfield then and now? What do they remember of Mansfield back uh, when it was just a small American town and nobody really knew who Laura Ingalls Wilder was yet because she had yet to take her place in the pantheon of great American authors? And so here was what uh, William Turner uh, really remembered about the Mansfield that he grew up in all of those years ago. Mansfield then was a fairly stri- uh, thriving community, uh, more so than now. You know, we had uh, two drug stores, we had several grocery stores, and all the businesses downtown were open, and now half the buildings are vacant, you know. So, but it was a, there were a lot of farmers around then. And uh, they would come to town on Saturdays, and stores would be open till nine o'clock, and completely different than nowadays. I think there was more of a sense of community back then than there is now. I mean, uh, the churches were a lot had a lot more members, and and there just wasn't as much to do. Of course, no TV. Radio was a big thing in our city park in Mansfield. We had a loudspeaker with a radio so we could listen to the St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. You saw uh, horses and wagons. Okay. More. And uh, farmers didn't have as much money back then, you know, and and they grew their crops and they'd bring them to town on the, uh, the square and and sell them, and, and uh, lots of small dairy farms. And I don't think there's hardly any now. But uh, I, I was when I was a kid, I worked at Kraft uh, Food Company, which was a, pro- a food processor, made uh, cheese, and uh, and we'd have uh, farmers. Uh, not farmers, but we'd have uh, mail callers, they called it. The mail callers would congregate a lot of cans of milk and bring them in to craft. We'd dump them out. We'd make cheese out of it. I just miss uh, life growing up in a community. We had, like, I think my class in high school had 35 kids in it, you know. So we knew everybody real well. 
and walked to school together and played basketball together and just had a had a lot more sense of friendship maybe than kids may have now. And you'll notice that Dale Freeman's memories are very similar to William Turner's. They remember this sense of community. They rem- they feel like things have changed. And, of course, part of this is nostalgia. And part of this is the fact that things really have changed. And they've changed a lot since back then. And so here are the 92-year-old uh, memories of Dale Freeman. We had merchants filling the square. Uh, we had... Uh the three major automobile dealerships, in which there are none. We uh, we had no Catholics. Uh, it was highly, I would say, highly conservative always back then. It still is. Uh, it's, well, I, I, the, the only way I can describe it is like a, most older people would describe it now. It, it's just not the same. So I only started off just intending to write a review of the great book, Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder, which ended up resulting in three separate conversations with uh, three elderly men who actually knew uh, Rose Wilder, Lane Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter, Almanza Wilder, and Laura Ingalls Wilder themselves in person. Uh, I had not known there were still people left alive. There are very few of them left who actually knew her uh, when she was alive and lived in Mansfield. And that was a, it was a really cool connection to history for me. And so I hope that those of you listening uh, also find it very interesting to hear from somebody who actually knew her, to hear what they thought about her, what they thought about her husband and her daughter. Because it's it's always interesting to me that history is a lot closer than we think it is. We always seem to think that, you know, history is, is so far off. But, in fact, I spoke with somebody who spoke with somebody who once lived in a little house on the prairie. And I thought that was was a really, really cool experience. So thank you so much for, for listening to this episode of The Culture Wars. Quite a different episode than usual. And those of you who want to check out uh, my review of the book, head over to thebridgehead.ca. Thanks so much for listening.